you can enter into a partnership with Bassett, as I described before, where we transition the smaller clients over to us and we pay you, you know, a couple of years before you're thinking about bringing your company to market. Because then when you come to market, you have a very attractive asset. Your margins are higher. You've got some capacity. You probably have some organic growth. Um, and there'll be people lining up to buy you at a pretty high multiple. Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales and marketing and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My guest today is Lisa Rapuano. Lisa is the CFO of Facet Wealth, an advisor focused on bringing holistic financial planning and investment management to the mass affluent market. Facet provides full financial planning through a dedicated CFP professional to its clients at a low annual subscription price. Prior to Facet, Lisa spent 25 years managing money, first at Leg Mason for Bill Miller, and then in her own hedge funds. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So it, it's so great to have you. I definitely want to you know, hear more about you and, uh, and what Facet Wealth does and the kind of uh, deals uh, that, that you've experienced. But before we go there, I want to take you back to when you were a little girl growing up. What did you want to be? Because I could be wrong, but, but you know, being involved in hedge funds and now in, you know, in, in, in the wealth management space uh, you know, might not have been it back then. But tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, definitely was not a hedge fund manager um, as a little girl. That was not my ambition. <laughs> um, I actually grew up in Cocoa Beach, Florida, and my father was a literal rocket scientist. Um, he worked in launch control during Apollo Soyuz and all through the Apollo program. So I wanted to be either an astronaut or a physicist. Oh, I, I love that. So, you know, it's like Cocoa Beach brings back some uh, good memories for me in that uh, it was the uh, freshman year of college. It was my spring break location. And I, uh, all I remember was uh, I, I've never, I had never surfed before that and I've never surfed since. But I spent a week surfing in Cocoa Beach and then drinking beer at the Thirsty Turtle Pub. Oh my goodness! Small wave capital of the world, right? So of course you were surfing, and uh, and that's that was my that was my upbringing: surfing and riding my bike on the beach, and uh, not quite the thirsty turtle, but maybe a little later. <laughs> I love it. So, um, what would you consider your first? I mean, a, a real business, whether you whether you owned it or you, you know you you were uh, as a kid or later in life, or you know, or, or or a significant executive position. What what was what was the first real business experience you had? Um, I would say that I, when I was 25, I talked my way into uh, a startup investment management company. And I'd had, you know, a couple of jobs on Wall Street before that, uh, right out of college that, you know, uh, were sort of sitting there in the in never, never land. You're out of college. You don't really know what's going on. Um, you're a pretty much a glorified gopher at that point. So my first real business experience was at this company called Franklin Street Partners in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where um, my husband was going to business school. Um, and I was 25, talked my way in, 
said, you know, I was a third employee and I basically convinced the guy that I could do whatever needed to be done, which I then did. I answered the phones and I did the computers and I managed their performance and I did the marketing and the sales. And, and then I ended up, you know, uh, starting my research career there. That's how I kind of fell into doing um, investment research. Oh, I love it. So you got, uh, you know, connected to the to this uh, the investment advisory space, investment management industry, pretty pretty early in your career. I did, yes. Um, so, talk, give us a little bit about uh, you know the high level of what Facet Wealth does. So, Facet is a registered investment advisor, an RAA is the term we use in the industry, right? Where, um, but what we do that's different is we focus only on people with less than a million dollars. And the reason that's important is that while a million dollars is a lot of money to a lot of people, in our industry, a million dollars is not enough, really, um, which is shocking. So a lot of people in America, 33 million households that are in our target area of having between 100,000 and a million dollars in investable assets are really sort of left out of um, the holistic financial planning side of the business. So what FACET has done is we have created a um, technology-enabled service. We use a lot of technology to uh, create an incredibly efficient back-end um, that our advisors use. And we're able to bring this really high level of, of, of service, of white glove service to people that don't have, um, uh, that aren't rich, that aren't high net worth. That's our main business. The, the other thing that you should know about us, though, is that our go-to-market strategy is very cooperative with the industry. So because I mentioned earlier, you know, many RIAs don't take people with less than a million or less than $500,000. What we're trying to do is um, create a partnership mentality in the industry where we help other RIAs by giving those smaller clients a great um, experience so that the RAs can focus mostly on what they do best, which is the more complex, higher net worth folks. So that's, you know, that, that's really interesting to me. And when I first heard um, about FACET, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting to me from a couple of points of view. I mean, one, yes, you're absolutely right. If you speak with almost any financial, you know, advisor, um, whether they are, frankly, at a wirehouse or an IBD platform or independent, you know, that million dollar number is what they, you know, almost all of them talk about, you know, million and above, million and above. Now, we all know that's to some extent, they'll make exceptions sometimes if it's somebody that they has growth or it's a kid's account or whatever. But, you know, but that's the, that seems to be the standard. And um, there are some other solutions that have come out in the industry, right? Robo advisors and, uh, you know, some of the things that, you know, because like Vanguard, you know, are, are doing with their personal advisor services. But you guys have distinguish yourselves in a number of ways, including that very different go-to-market strategy. Yeah. So um, the thing that you said that all these independents, IBDs, advisors are focused on the over a million um, and that they make exceptions. So the problem is if they make too many exceptions, their businesses don't work. Yes. Because that's really what they're set up to do is to do those higher net worth folks. And so that's why, you know, our strategy of partnering with them, I think, is really um, innovative and, and will be very successful in that we help them have a better business. Um, on the other point that you mentioned, which is that there are other uh, solutions out there like Robos and Vanguard, et cetera, um, I think it's great that these exist. Um, there are everyone who is looking for financial advice has a little bit of a different set of needs. There are lots of folks who kind of think, I got this, I want to do it myself. 
Um, there are, but there are a lot of folks out there that don't want to do it themselves. Um, a robo is really an investment solution with some modest planning tools that you can self-serve on. Um, Facet is a full advice. You have a person here. We have a dedicated person. You can call for anything. We're your person, just like somebody at Goldman Sachs Private Wealth Management would be. Yeah, which is great. And, and you know, when we think about it in terms of the RIA firms, you know, that you're partnering with, um, you know, it, 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 it's something that, that I think really makes a lot of sense because whether it's in the investment uh, advi- you know, advisory business or in any other business, right, certainly any kind of service business, there's often this, uh, this thing you alluded to, which is that too many companies are trying to be all things to all people and it doesn't work, right? It's, it's very difficult in fact, near impossible for almost every firm to run a highly sort of high-end, high-touch, customized, high-end, um, you know, a service, whether it's investment management, whether it's accounting firms, law firms, business coaches, I mean, you name it. And then also handle smaller, uh, lower, uh, you know, profitable or lower-end clients. And that's not nothing, you know, they're great people, right? It's just that it, it's a different market and it, and it's a different, you know, uh, level of service that you can provide at different sort of price points and profit margins. Exactly. So I think that what you said at the beginning of the question, which was about, you know, advisors are trying to be all things to all people. Um, the most successful advisors are not doing that. That's right. The most successful advisors are defining their niche very clearly. And so ours is, you know, people with less than a million dollars who want full financial planning. That's a very clear niche and that's all we do. Um, I think that, you know, you'll find advisors who have built their businesses over the years, maybe have changed their targets or maybe they started in a certain area um, in order to just cover their fixed cost structure. And now as they've evolved and become more successful, they can't really let go of that. And it's holding them back, right? It's holding them back as they try to continue to grow because the, the, the thing that limits our growth as an advisory firm, as any advisory firm, is human capital. And you can only service, you can only do so much. So if you're a single solo guy and you have 100 clients and 50 of them are not profitable for you, they still take up your capacity. So <laughs> you can't grow anymore. If you, uh, if you don't sort of do something in order to help those clients in a different manner and then allow yourself to, to fill that capacity up with um, more higher revenue clients who are more in, in sync with your newly defined, more advanced, you know, competitive advantage or niche that you've defined. And it's interesting because I see that issue or evolution happen, not only wealth management, but in, you know, and I mean, you name the kind of, kind of business. And then you have a lot of these consultants who come in and say, hey, you know, you got to segment your clients, right? You know, segment client segmentation, you got your A's, your B's, your C's, or whatever their seg- segmenting, you know, strategy is. And it makes sense. And they identify that, you know, who, who your ideal clients, whether that's by, you know, revenue, you know, size, profitability, type of specific niche, et cetera. Um, you know, and then, and then who, you know, who are the ones that, that really aren't the great fit for you. And what I find sometimes with my clients and people I know, entrepreneurs, you know, is that, they intellectually understand that the quote unquote C clients, and again, I don't want that to be a judgment on people, right? That's just the, those clients aren't the ideal fit for the business model uh, that, that, that they have. Uh, some of them are hesitant to make the move. One, because they're, uh, they're afraid to lose the revenue and, and that's a separate conversation. They shouldn't be and they'll be more profitable and, and replace them with better clients. But also sometimes because they 
know that they're good people. They want those people to be served. And whereas a lot of the consultants tell them that they should drop the, you know, uh, the C clients, so to speak, they don't know where to send them. And they don't, they don't want them just to have to fend on their own. So that's why I think, you know, your model really makes sense because you're providing a solution to that dilemma for the advisory firms, um, you know, as opposed to just uh, having some consultant tell them they should cut those people. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, what we, there's a couple of things that we see all the time. We talk to, you know, hundreds and hundreds of advisors and one thing we often see is they segment and then they don't do anything right because it's too difficult this is a, this is and this is actually the best part and the worst part about our industry um, the best part is the reason they don't do anything is because they're helpers and they just can't bear the idea of these folks not getting the help that they deserve and that's a fabulous sentiment it doesn't help them as business people um, that that we think that you know facet is an incredible new solution for them because once we take the time to show them what we will do for those clients they they the advisors generally feel like oh okay what a relief you know thank goodness i can i can i can have confidence that they're going to be taken care of sending them to you versus you know their options before were somewhat limited they could uh send them to vanguard and have them do it themselves which is or even send them to Vanguard with the new PAS, which you know you don't really get a dedicated person unless you have over five hundred thousand dollars. Right. And it's it's financial planning, but it's financially oriented planning. Whereas what we do is whole life financial planning. Everything about your life, we want to help you with. Um, you could hire a, a junior advisor, and you know segment them off over there, which adds complexity to your own business, right? You got more people working for you. You got to train someone. And then guess what? When that junior advisor becomes very successful, they don't want the small clients either. Um, or you could like send them to retail, which is generally expensive for the client and really isn't the whole solution that, that, that you know, we at Facet can give them. So we provide a new way for them to solve that problem. And we find that that is, you know, welcome in the industry. So Lisa, so this is a deals podcast, as you know. So let's talk about the deal that you do, because you know there there are a number of ways that uh, some of this could be structured, right? People can there can be some sort of referral, and and by the way, listeners, this is something you know for those of you who are in other industries, you know it's an interesting thing to think about, right? Are, are there other resources out there like the resource that Facet's providing in the wealth management space? Uh, in your space where you can have your segmented clients, you know, that, that aren't the perfect fit for you be taken care of, or if not, is there a business opportunity in your industry to, you know, uh, uh, use facets model in the wealth management industry to do something in, in a, you know, in the, in another industry to provide that segmentation. And then in terms of structures, right, they could be, I mean, it could be set up as a referral, uh, you know, relationship where you, you know, you're getting paid for the clients that are referred over. They can be set up in, in the wealth management industry as some sort of sub-advisor relationship where there's an ongoing client relationship. Uh, you could buy the business, uh, you know, fr from the other firm. Um, so I'm curious, Lisa, as to what your model is and, you know, and then people can extrapolate out for themselves uh, in other industries as well. Sure. So um, I'll talk about what we're doing with RIA firms as the deals between us. Yes. But there's another element here that I'd like to come back to, which is how we can help advisors who want to do deals amongst themselves great. and how we can play a role in facilitating that. So if you don't mind coming back to that, that would be great. Yeah, that's great. Uh, <laughs> so the deal that you do with Facet, we refer to as a partnership. Um, it has two uh, flavors, essentially. One is a referral partnership 
And so in the RAA space, you know, um, if you, we can pay for referrals, um, if you have a solicitation agreement with us, and that is an ongoing thing. We become the person that you, the trusted advisor to whom you send clients who are below your minimum. And therefore you never get in that problem again, where you have all kinds of small clients taking up your time. You just, you solve the problem and then you never have it again because you have facet. That's one flavor. The other flavor is what we call the revenue replacement opportunity, which is much more, it sounds more like a, a sale, an asset sale. It is, it is more of a deal. Um, the reason we call it a revenue replacement opportunity is that it's rarely like a big giant transaction deal that all happens at one time. It's more of a ongoing um, uh, sequential deal. So we sign an asset purchase agreement with an, with an RAA where we are purchasing their client relationships from them. That is an asset which they own. Um, we then set terms on that, which are around how long we will replace their revenue for clients that transition to us. Mm -hmm. So if you have 100 clients that are below $500,000 and they're making you $25,000 in revenue, um, what I do is I look at that and I, and I say, you know, this is how we're going to pay you for these as they come over. And because this is a business improvement opportunity generally for the RIA and not necessarily, you know, a deal, a transaction, it's, they're not selling a practice. They're just selling certain client relationships. This works really well for them because one of the big reasons they haven't done it before is they don't want to lose that revenue. Um, so I'll tell them, you know, look, I'll replace your revenue for 12 to 18 months for all the clients that come to facet. Um, and you then, then have fewer clients, more time and the same revenue for 12 to 18 months. And that's what we find is the really transformative thing, uh, for, for an advisor is that they use that time to do all that stuff they've always wanted to do. Their revenues are not going to go down to 12 for 12 to 18 months. That's a long time when you freed up anywhere from 10 to 50% of your time um, by getting rid of your small clients. And that's how they start their own organic growth engine again. That's how they start, you know, sort of revving up their marketing machine again. That's how they find the time to meet the strategic objectives that they really hadn't had time to get to before. So that's really smart. And, you know, and listeners, from a um, deal maker point of view, uh, you know, there's so many things in that. But one of the things I want to point out is, uh, you know, there's so many ways to structure deals, right? And some people get sort of really stuck in some traditional structures. And one of the things that you always want to look at when you're structuring deals in any given industry is what is the target, you know, on the other side of your, of your deal? In this case, you know, for Facet, it's, it's these uh, RA firms who, are, you know, who have a desire to segment out, you know, certain of their clients not handle them, but a hesitation to do so. And what is the pain point that's associated with that? And, and, you know, what, what is going to make it attractive to the other side? And, you know, what Lisa just explained to you in her case is that uh, that revenue replacement, right, because they don't want to lose the revenue. So that's a pain point for them. That makes them hesitant to do it. She's solving, you know, and facet solving that, that concern, which frees them up to be able to, yes, you know, pursue more ideal clients or do whatever else they want to do. Maybe, maybe look for acquisitions. We'll talk about that later. Or, you know, ha have, have a growth strategy that's, uh, you know, that, that is more in line with their ideal clients. Um, so that's, you know, a lesson for the listeners out there in any industry, uh, you know, in other aspects of, of, um, of the wealth management space. You know, if you can solve a pain point for somebody uh, in your deal structure, it makes those deals much more likely to get done. 
right? And just to be clear, we didn't start out with this particular structure, right? We are when we envisioned this at the beginning, we thought this would be more transactional, a large book buying, you know, traditional closed techniques. And what we found is that that's not the product market fit. This is this was completely market driven of how advisors want to work with us, and we adjusted. Yeah, which is another great lesson, right? Is that you know, listen. I mean, you always hear listen in the marketplace in terms of what your client want, you know wants in terms of just your your basic service, you know, your your uh, direct service offering. But it's the same thing in deals. You know, sometimes you go out to market with certain uh, thinking on a deal structure, and the market tells you it wants something different. And if you're smart and you can make it work in a way that's you know uh, makes sense economically and otherwise for you, you adjust. That's great. Um, so Lisa, so let's talk about, let me see if I can segue into that other topic, which you mentioned. Um, so, uh, it, you know, it seems to me like there are a number of scenarios in which it would make sense for somebody to consider a facet I, and, and a few of them, you know, I, so w- one of the things we do is we work with a lot of breakaway brokers who leave, you know, teams who are leaving warehouses and, you know, banks and trust companies who want to go independent. And one of the decisions that they make at that point is, you know, they have, they may have some lower end clients and the question is, you know, do they take them with them or do they leave them, you know, at, at the warehouse uh, because, you know, they're, they're not their ideal clients. So that's one scenario. The other scenario where it comes up, which is I think the segue into what, you know, the other topic that you wanted to talk about and I think would be valuable to our listeners is uh, when companies are doing deals, when they're, when they're doing mergers, acquisitions, et cetera, uh, there are time. that's another time where they look at, uh, uh, the profitability of their clients, maybe on their own, but also because often the buyer is doing that analysis and, you know, uh, deciding what it wants to pay for uh, and also what may fit its business model, especially maybe if a smaller firm is merging, you know, or, or being acquired by a larger firm and there are different minimums and that kind of stuff. And it seems to me like that's an opportunity where you guys get involved as well. How did I do on that segue? That was perfect. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, so you're right. There, there are there are there are different ways that we can work with um, advisors who are considering M and A activity on their own. Um, I'll, I'll I'll characterize them in two different ways. One is the um, the preparation for M and A advisor, and one is in the middle of M and A advisor. So let me talk about the preparation for M and A guy first. Woman guy person. Um, in, in a situation where, let's say you're an advisor, you're, you might be starting to think about selling your practice uh, down the road. You might be starting to think about creating a G2, a generation two transition. You're starting to think about your company as more of a business and less of a practice. And you're, you're trying to get your ducks in a row to maximize its value. Um, we're a very good partner at that point of consideration where you start to move toward maximizing the value of your business. Because if you think about like, um, I mean, Corey, you probably do this all the time, right? You look at an RIA and they got a whole bunch of really small accounts. Their profit margins are going to be lower. Um, the competitive advantage they have with those smaller accounts is going to be smaller because they probably don't give them a ton of service it's a little bit confusing in their branding because they're talking about how they're an ultra high net worth advisor, but then they got, you know, all these people who are not ultra high net worth and it can be kind of confusing in the community as to what they really do. There's all kinds of reasons that it can be confusing. So you can enter into a partnership with Facet, as I described before, where we transition the smaller clients over to us and we pay you you know, a couple of years before you're thinking about bringing your company to market, 
Because then when you come to market, you have a very attractive asset. Your margins are higher. You've got some capacity. You probably have some organic growth. Um, and there'll be people lining up to buy you at a pretty high multiple. Um, the other circumstance, which is the midst of transaction um, uh, advisors, that we can also be helpful is if you're a buyer, for example, and you find an asset that hasn't gone through that pre-work that I just described, but they've got a nice core there that you really want. Um, so they might have, you know, whatever, $100 million, and of that $100 million, you know, 80 of it is very attractive to you, fits right into your power alley, culturally great, but you got this $20 million of AUM that is just not at all. You really don't want to take it on. Um, we can be a very attractive partner for coming to help you with that, either prior to you buying it or after you're buying it, um, one way or, or, or during. You know, we can structure it in a variety of ways in order to bring those clients to a home like Facet that is perfect for them and to bring those other clients to your, uh, your asset manager, your investment manager, your wealth manager um, in a way that fits perfectly with you. So we can get involved um, in a variety of ways to maximize the value of practices and also give clients their best home. Yeah, and, and both those situations really make sense because you know, uh, doing as many deals as I do, you know, I often see that come up as an issue where whether it's during the, you know, the buyer doesn't want a certain segment of the clients, uh, because the advisor still has those, you know, and hasn't done anything with them, um, you know, or uh, they, you know, and I love the, the, the other aspect that you brought up where it's one of the ways that a buyer can get prepared for a deal because there's so many, you know, one of the things we always talk to uh, people about when they think about selling the company, whether it's, uh, you know, for succession purposes over time or other reasons or whatever it is, um, is that, you know, there's a lot of things you want to do to prep your company to make sure that you're in the best position to attract uh, the most buyers and also get the highest valuation. And there are things around cleaning up financial statements and getting legal things in, you know, in, in place and making sure that you have you know, the, the better systems you got, securing your key people. And you know, there's a whole list of things. And this is certainly um, an important one to, add, you know, to at least consider adding to the list uh, in advance of a, you know, well in advance of a transaction. That's great. Um, so any other thoughts in terms of, you know, what you're seeing in the RA industry, uh, you know, and, and, and deals in general or, uh, you know, any other, you know, is, 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 is facet, uh, I mean, obviously you will not reveal any confidential information of things coming up, but I mean, uh, you know, what, what, what is the, you know, is, is there anything on the horizon or how does that, you know, in terms of the way facet looks at deals for maybe, you know, you know, yourself or, uh, anything else, uh, that might be interesting. Yeah, I mean, facet. We're, our, our model is is these small uh, sort of asset sale purchases, not really wholesale RAA purchases. Mm -hmm. So I can confidently say that we're not. We don't have anything in the works to buy other 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 groups. Um, but I will. I would like to sort of just comment on the overall consolidation in the industry, yeah. because I think that it points out a couple of very interesting trends that we should all keep in mind as we build our businesses. Um, I also, to be totally self-serving here, right, they happen to also uh, really um, uh, under, underline some of the assumptions we've made about the industry going forward. So I'll, I'll, I'll just say in advance that I, I understand that all of these things I'm about to say make us look really good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so one of them is that 
there are reasons that you're seeing consolidation, not just because of generational shift, which a lot of people are talking about, but it's also because um, companies are needing uh, companies, and by companies, I mean wealth management companies, um, investment management companies, and wealth management companies. They're really needing to look internally and say, what is it that I do well that makes me deserve my fees? And, you know, if you go back to the olden days, like when I was starting out, um, there were, uh, you know, a lot of investment only people, a lot of stockbrokers, which is what we still called them back then. Sure. Um, they were, you would hire them to pick stocks for you. You would hire them to give you access to the market at very high commission trade rates, if you remember that. Um, and, you know, that was very valuable, right? It was hard to play the market back then. And then it's morphed over time into, you know, giving you better managers, better mutual funds. You know, I worked for Lake Mason for a really long time. The only way you could get our mutual funds, which were amazing, was to have a Lake Mason broker. Um, and so that was kind of the next iteration. And now we're moving into an iteration where it's all about service and personal attention. Well, you know what? Personal, personal attention service is expensive and difficult to give to people. And I think some of this evolution of the industry is what's driving the consolidation. And, and, and at the same time, there's significant margin compression on, on fees. Yes, exactly. Because you have to earn your fees, right? So the robos, you know, God bless them. They really accelerated the commodification of, you know, market participation. Um, that was already getting commodified with ETFs, but now having robos, it's so easy, right? It's so easy to be in the market for a very low price. And so if I'm hiring an advisor, what am I hiring them for? Not that, um, <laughs> right? So these advisors are moving up market. They're, they're moving toward offering more service. This is a really, really good trend for clients, um, but it's going to just make it harder for advisors to continue to earn their fees. And so that's all I'm, what I'm saying is that I think that deals will continue to accelerate. I think, you know, the United Capital thing, Focus Going Public, all of these consolidators that are out there, this is all a natural evolution of the business. And we who are participating need to very much examine how we're adding value to our clients and are we charging them a fair price for what we're doing for them. Yeah, and it's interesting to me because I, I've, uh, you know, in, in other talks I've given and uh, probably earlier in the podcast and some of my writing, you know, I was, uh, I've certainly been quoted in articles, you know, I, I get uh, some of the industry press comes through when there's all these deals, whatever, you know, or, or investments, uh, you know, venture capital money coming into the space or focuses IPO. I mean, we're just in a maturing industry. You know, I've seen it, you know, I've, I've been practicing law for over 30 years. Uh, you know, I, I have clients outside the industry as well. And you know, and, and this is what happens in a maturing industry. There's, there's consolidation, there's, you know, margin compression, there's, uh, you know, uh, investment capital that comes into the space. And um, what smart firms do, and, and listeners, if, you know, whatever industry you're in, uh, you know, it's, it's a good lesson, right? Because some people sit and complain about how industries evolve, but they're going to evolve, whatever you, you know, whatever you think about them. And it also provides opportunity. I mean, frankly, Lisa, you know, probably 10 years ago or 15 years ago, there wasn't a space in the market for, for facet wealth. No, absolutely. And you're, you're 100% right. It's a maturing industry. I think we can look at just the pure asset management space as a model of what we probably don't want to do, right? right. <laughs> Which is to not evolve and to not adapt and not to, not, not to continue to make our product, um, you know, uh, 
irreplaceable for people, right? Um, so the fees, maybe we don't, I, I would like to think of it not as so much as fee compression as service expansion, right? Yeah. If you want to keep providing, if you want to keep charging 90 basis points or 1% of AUM, um, you better darn well earn that uh, with incredible service to those clients. Love it. Love it. So Lisa, before I ask you my last question, I'm sure that uh, listeners have gotten a huge amount of value and you've certainly gotten uh, some in, you know, investment advisory firms who, uh, you know, light bulb was going off on their head, whether it's just a, the opportunity to, to segment out, uh, you know, their clients in general or in connection with the deal uh, that they're doing or, you know, otherwise. So uh, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best place uh, to find out more about you and Facet Wealth and to get connected with you? Well, email me directly at lisa at facetwealth.com. I'm happy to uh, direct you to whoever the right person is to talk to if it's not me. Um, and also, I would encourage you to go to our website at www.facetwealth.com. We've got all kinds of resources about what we do for clients and what we, how we work with advisors that um, will probably be very helpful to you. Oh, that's great. So uh, my last question on the podcast is always about authenticity, and it's one of my highest values. And for me, authenticity is not about external morals or integrity. Those are different conversations related, but different. But it's all about, you know, uh, having our lives and businesses and decisions uh, aligned with our what's true, our innermost truth, you know, what's, what's authentic to us. And, you know, that could be looked at on an individual basis, you know, in terms of, you know, even your decision to be at Facet Wealth. And, and you know, and it could also be in a company culture, uh, which ideally it's both, right? So uh, I would love to just get your thoughts around how authenticity has impacted your business career in general and, and how it may play into what Facet Wealth does. Well, let me talk about Facet Wealth's role in authenticity first, because that's the easier question to answer. Um, so there is something incredibly powerful about joining a company that not only has a really good business idea, which I think our business ideas is very powerful, but also is helping people every single day, people who would otherwise be either not given the service that they deserved or charged way too much for it. Um, yeah. And that is, you know, we have a, we have a Slack channel here at Facet called Dreams Made Possible where we just post uh, stories of how we've helped people, how, we, how they got their first house, how we helped them pay off their credit card debt, uh, you know, whatever it is. I mean, we're here to help people and to build a good business doing it, which I think is a, a really um, rare and um, valuable thing, right? I'm, I'm really lucky to be associated with it and very happy to be here. I, I, love, I love that. I love, and I love the idea of the Slack channel. That's phenomenal. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we take it really every two, every two weeks. Also, we listen to client calls where we talk about, we listen to what clients are saying about us, what their problems are. It helps our engineers. You know, we have a lot of software engineers here who are building our product. They're building the interface for the clients. They're building the interface for our financial advisors to use, our CFPs to use, and to get, you know, to be incredibly efficient in serving our, our clients and, and meeting their needs. And so having everyone here, kind of what client problems and solutions really are is very helpful to to driving our success and driving our product and our and our service offering great and the other half of that question well the other half is about me personally right so um it's interesting i think that uh i got a lot of satisfaction in my life out of managing money to be honest you know for 25 years that's what i did in the public markets 
And, um, you know, I worked for Bill and we were very differentiated in the marketplace. Um, and so I think that it's that differentiation that we had where we really were investing differently. We weren't playing a game. We weren't taking people's money and trying to sort of meet the, um, the consultant driven, uh, metrics in order to gather the most assets. Um, and you know, we made a lot of people, a lot of money. Um, you know, before I left in 2004, we were very, very successful and, and that was very satisfying. Um, when I started my hedge fund, there's a reason that I was not particularly successful as far as hedge funds go. I mean, I was successful in that my life was amazing. I got to do exactly what I wanted to do, serving very, very nice clients and investing exactly the way that I wanted to, but, um, it, which was the way I thought was correct. But it didn't scale because I didn't play the game. And um, you, know, you hear out there people that are just trying to make a buck. And if I had wanted to make a lot of money, I mean, I made fine money, but if I'd wanted to make a lot of money, like hedge fund kind of money, um, I would have structured it in a way that I knew would play the game and would sell. Mm -hmm. And instead, I structured it the way that made me happy and capitalized on my particular strengths. And um, I think that there's something to thinking about your life that way and thinking about structuring a business that way so that, you know, you kind of get to do exactly what you're good at and what helps people the most, but you don't necessarily always have to do it in the way that makes the most money or gathers the greatest number of assets. Mm, I love that, Lisa. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. And thank you, Fueling Deals listeners, for tuning in. Remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't. And it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor, other than that the owners and executives that do deals make a decision to do deals. And then they take action. Well, it's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at FuelingDeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.